From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Some of the people who test positive for COVID-19 become sick enough to require hospitalization, and many of those patients are cared for by doctors who specialize in critical care medicine. I'm talking today with Dr. Jim Sexton. He's an associate professor of medicine specializing in critical care at Upstate. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Sexton. Thank you. Are your patients all in the intensive care unit? Is that where doctors specializing in critical care work? That's where all my intensive care unit patients are, uh, obviously. Um, I, uh, like most uh, adult critical care specialists, I am um, both a uh, critical care specialist and a lung specialist. So pulmonary and critical care uh, generally go hand in hand. What are the medical problems you've seen in patients with COVID-19 who end up in the ICU? Well, we've seen a number of different problems um, in the ICU. Hypoxia or low oxygen is a, is a big one. You can get uh, um, respiratory failure where you you're also start to retain carbon dioxide so that the, the lungs are just not working and have to go on life support. Uh, we've also had patients have problems with clotting disorders, forming blood clots to their lungs, and patients with um, heart problems uh, from the uh, disease. Uh, we've also had patients get sick enough where they go into renal failure from it. Well, you mentioned um, the low oxygen levels, and I've I've read about that, um, that a COVID-19 patient may have very low oxygen levels but not realize it. So what is happening? I mean, they're still breathing okay, right? Well, oxygen is, um, just because your oxygen levels are low does not mean you'll be short of breath. That, okay. um, really the only um, symptom that low oxygen will reliably give you is fatigue. Um, it Whether you get short of breath is actually dependent on a number of other factors. Um, by itself, low oxygen will not make you feel like short of breath. Um, it will give you other symptoms. Now, again, there's a number of other factors that go into play there, and it gets to be very complicated. But yes, people can be have low oxygen and not feel short of breath. So how is low oxygen usually treated? Is Are those people given oxygen, extra oxygen? Uh, yeah. If you are... It, it, uh, again, it, it, it'll depend on a couple of different things, but in, it, it, at the very least, you'll give supplemental oxygen. So normally, we're breathing 21% oxygen. Um, if you uh, give, if you increase that percentage, you'll get be getting more into your bloodstream. What about medical imaging? Do the lungs of COVID patients look different from the lungs of patients with pneumonia? In General, the the there are there are infiltrates in the lung which will happen with pneumonia or COVID. Um, the types of of um, infiltrates you get are can happen with normal pneumonias, but usually not with normal pneumonias. But you can see this type of uh, infiltrates um, in a number of different lung conditions. Um, but when you put the whole clinical um, scenario together with the abnormal x-rays, um, you will um, often be able to, you know, get an idea that, yes, this is COVID, this is not. I've heard so that some... Talk about... Go ahead. Go, oh, I, I've heard that some COVID-19 patients are like patients with acute respiratory distress syndrome. Can you tell us what that is? 
Acute respiratory distress syndrome is an inflammatory reaction in your lungs to some type of injury. And it, hap it tends to go throughout both lungs uh, diffusely. Um, that can be almost any type of lung injury. It could be a direct trauma like a, like a, a pulmonary contusion. Um, it could, but more commonly, it will be people, patients that will get either um, pneumonia or um, some other type of inflammatory reaction in the lung that then gets kind of generalized throughout both lungs. Um, COVID can give you ARDS just like um, any other lung infection, um, but it can also give this kind of ARDS-like picture that's not quite ARDS. Um, there's there's a the kind of COVID lung which is not um, doesn't appear to be the same type of inflammation as normally RDS. Does COVID nineteen remind you of any other disease? Anything in total like this? It's different than most other things that I've seen with inflammatory reactions in the lung. Not drastically, but but it is different. That the the COVID lung does seem to be a bit different, and then the infection leading to such clotting problems where you can develop pulmonary emboli is is unusual for the, a viral infection like this. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Jim Sexton, who specializes in critical care medicine at Upstate. Well, in terms of taking care of patients who have COVID-19, how do you monitor whether they're getting better? A lot of that is going to be based on how much support requirements. So like if I have a patient who's on life support, um, life support is not just a yes or a no. It, there's different levels of life support. So how much am I having to do to support the patient through this? And, and you can gauge um, how well they're doing based on whether or not is that stable? Is that getting worse? Is it getting better? And once it gets better, can it get to a point where we can actually get rid of it and, and, and allow the patient to go back on their own and not need the support to keep them going? Um, I've heard fever being one of the symptoms of this. If a fever starts coming down uh, on its own, is that a good sign that the person's body is sort of fighting off the virus? Um, if the yeah, if the fevers kind of go away, it's it's one of the things is the symptoms start to re resolve. Um, the the fever actually is there. That's actually part of the body's response against the virus. So um, the the virus itself doesn't cause the fever. It's the, it's the body's reaction to it. Mm. So um, so and and that helps helps actually help, helps the body fight off the virus. Does the length of time that someone is hospitalized determine their chances of recovery? Because we've seen news reports of people that have gone home after, you know, a 50 or 60 day stay in the hospital, which I think that's a really long time, isn't it? Not really compared to most ARDS cases. Oh, <laughs> ARDS okay. is a, is a is, um, usually if a patient gets ARDS is going to be in the hospital for weeks. Um, so uh, yeah, there'll be patients that'll be in the hospital for quite some time. What have you learned about COVID-19 from the patients you and your colleagues have cared for? Well, we're, we're, it's a constant process of, of trying to learn, getting as much information from other areas, other places that have had um, as much or more experience with these types of patients so that we can learn from their experience as well as our own.
Um, so we've been in contact with people from Wuhan. We've been in contact with people from Europe and New York City. Um, so uh, we are learning quite a bit, um, and we're trying to do it as rapidly as we possibly can. Is there anything that survivors have in common? Well, not getting put on life support is a, a big one, but um, but that really doesn't help you. <laughs> um, I, the looking at what's the prognosis? What, what's the chance you'll do well versus what's the chance you'll do poorly with this? There are definitely factors that would indicate you're more likely to have a good outcome versus a bad one. So for example, age is, is a major factor in this disease. Um, patients uh, that once you get above the age of about 60, your risk of something really bad happening really starts to rise. Prior to the age of 60, it's, it's very low. Yes, there are reports of people, uh, you know, children, young adults getting very sick with this. It does happen. But as a percentage of, of the people who get the disease, it's, it's still a very low rate, particularly as you compare it to um, the elderly population. Once you start to get to kind of late middle age, you start to hit your late 50s, um, the, the risk starts to rise at that point, continue to climb as um, you get older and older patients. So that would be an example of something that would, would help predict, you know, is this patient gonna do good or bad? Um, not everyone that's 85 does poorly, not everyone that's 25 does great, but it, it does give you a probability um, to, to start looking at and following these things. Other things would be underlying comorbidities, so underlying medical problems, uh, particularly serious heart or lung problems uh, seem to help, uh, you know, that if you have an underlying lung problem, you're more likely to do poorly than if, if you have normal lungs. Well, in terms of treatment, um, what is helping? That is a little bit more difficult to pin down because you're, it's, it's hard to see um, these things without doing studies. So that's why we rely on studies. You need to have um, large groups of people and you need to be able to differentiate, you know, what's the effect of this medication versus what's like, say, the, just a natural course of this disease. Um, so, you know, when we look at the studies, the, the Remdesivir has been shown to be of benefit. Um, now, remdesivir, is that the antiviral? That's an antiviral. Okay. Yes. So it sort of uh, shortens the course, hopefully, for a person? Hopefully, yeah. Um, the um, other medications, just putting people on blood thinners appears to be beneficial. Now, that's not going to fight the virus itself, but it'll fight one of the major problems from the virus, which is the clot formation. Um, so, and you, you wouldn't do that in everybody that gets COVID by any stretch of the imagination. You would do that in people that get really critically ill, particularly if you get to the point where you're starting to drop your um, um, oxygen. But what we do is we actually follow to see if there's signs of, of excessive clot formation in the body. And if we start to see those signs, um, we can start people on blood thinners. So for people with COVID-19, are they... Do they need their body's immune system to work better or or less? Are you trying to suppress it, or like what are you trying to do with their immune system? Uh, you you want it to work appropriately because if you if you suppress it too far, the body's not going to be able to fight off the um, virus. 
if you don't, if you uh, allow it to go too hog wild in certain situations, then then the inflammatory response itself is causing the problems. That's the ARDS. Now, can you do anything to suppress the immune system? In general, you shouldn't. Um, our our experience with infections causing really bad reactions like this, not necessarily COVID, suppressing the immune system generally makes things worse because your immune system is there to fight off the, the virus. Um, now, certain anti-inflammatories like steroids may help, but steroids are not as strong an immune suppressant as they are just suppressing the inflammatory response. So in, in general, no, you don't want to suppress the immune system, but you may want to suppress the inflammatory response, but what, you got to be very careful with that. Let me ask you, because early on in this uh, outbreak, we heard a lot about ventilators. Are those mm -hmm. being used for patients who are critically ill with this disease? Yes. Um, I think we have five or six in, in the upstate system right now on ventilators from COVID. So it is a necessity for some patients. Yes. Now, what about positioning patients on their stomachs? Have you heard any of your colleagues that have talked about positioning patients? Oh, yes. This is, this is a standard um, uh, intervention in, in ARDS before COVID. Um, the patients do actually better if you, if you put them on their stomach. There's more lung in the back than there is up front. So if you, but, all right, and then, so there's more lung in the back, but the lung as it gets diseased will get heavier and compress the lung underneath it. So if you're laying on your back where there's more lung back there, the front of the chest and the front of the lung is actually going to compress more lung. And if you flip the person over and now you're compressing the front of the lung where there's less lung so that there's more lung open in the back. So the patients will ventilate better. And th this seems to have a very big impact in this particular disease. So that's gravity, basically. Yep. Interesting. It's, it's, it's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, we have talked with uh, other providers from Upstate about the Convalescent Blood Plasma Project. Have mm -hmm. you seen success with that? Um, I have not had a patient on that uh, study yet, um, but um, it's actually been about a month since I've been on the ICU. I'm, I'm on the ICU this week. Um, but um, so I really haven't had the opportunity because um, I just haven't been in the ICU recently. I was on the pulmonary service instead. Um, the But I do know the convalescent plasma works in in viral infections like this in, in general um we have a lot of of um hope for this this one we really think that this will be a a, a big factor in the very very ill patients you're not going to do it with people with kind of routine covid infections but people who get very uh, critically ill with it um seem to do much better with it and this is where blood from people who have recovered is used uh, for people who are still ill to help their body mount a response, right? Not, not so much help them mount a response. It's you're actually taking advantage of the response the other person already had. 
And so they've already they've already developed their own antibodies to this, and then I can I can basically transfuse these antibodies into another patient to help them. So I'm taking advantage of the previous patient's immune response to help the, this patient now fight off the disease. I see. Well, we're only six months since the first case of COVID nineteen came to light in America. What do you think things are going to look like a year from now with regard to people who become sick with COVID-19? Do you think there'll be a new treatment, um, a vaccine, a way to prevent someone who's infected from, you know, getting so bad that they need an ICU? So a couple of questions there. Um, Vaccine, I'm not sure how how long that's going to take. Um, uh, obviously, um, people are working on that. Um, how far along they are, I don't know. Um, I, I don't have any uh, direct um, um, interaction with the people making these vaccines. Ultimately, though, I think that's going to be what we really need is, is a vaccination so that, that we can make enough of the population immune that we don't have to worry about outbreaks. If you get enough of a population immune to any virus, it doesn't get into that population at all. So there's a, a concept of not just am I immune to it, but what's the herd immunity? So if I make enough of the herd immune, no one in the herd gets it because it can't get established in the population. But in general, you need a very large percentage of the population to be immune to the um, disease to get that effect. Um, we're nowhere near that right now. And we really wouldn't be able to get it without um, a vaccination, I don't think. Um, the, so once we get the vaccine, I think we'll be in a much better position. Um, people who do get the disease hopefully will be, have long-term immunity. It, it's probably not going to be permanent, but um, hopefully we'll have long-term, some type of long-term immunity to it. So, um, you know, where are we going to be in a year? I don't know. We'll probably have cycles of outbreak. So as, you know, right now, things have plateaued off in this area. Um, hopefully that will either continue or the numbers of cases will go down, but I would anticipate that there'll be secondary um, outbreaks that could potentially be much larger than what we've already faced. Um, you know, how big the peaks are in any of the particular cycles, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but the, the second or third outbreak could be the big ones. Um, you know, ho hopefully not. We've done a, a pretty good job at containing it in the Syracuse region. Um, I'd like to see that continue. Well, we sure appreciate your insight. Thank you so much to Dr. Jim Sexton, a critical care specialist at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.